we read the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let, them, uh, let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you... Anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, One said, escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? Then my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. 
Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Amen. To preach the sermon because he couldn't finish the sermon. We're told, quote, that the people listening shrieked and cried out and the crying and weeping became so loud that Edwards was forced to discontinue the sermon. And in fact, I've read accounts of men and women holding on to the pillars of the church lest they be dragged into hell. Here's a brief sample of the sermon. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. And to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Were it not for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you one moment, for you are a burden to it. The creation groans with you. The creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption, not willingly. The sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve sin and Satan. The earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lusts, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted upon. The air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the service of God's enemies. The world would spew you out were it not for the sovereign hand of him who hath subjected it in hope. There are the black clouds of God's wrath, now hanging directly over your heads, full of the dreadful storm and big with thunder. And were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God For the present stays his rough wind, otherwise it would come with fury. And your destruction would come like a whirlwind. And you would be like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. We continue our series in Genesis tonight. And the point of the passage is this. Flee from the wrath to come. Back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot had parted ways. Abraham gave Lot his nephew the choice of the land. And we read, didn't we, in Genesis 13, quote, Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. 
Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were great, wicked, uh, were, were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And then in Genesis 18:20 we read, "Then the Lord said, "Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done." Altogether, according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. But then it dawned on Abram as he spoke with the Lord face to face, I have a nephew in Sodom. And so, Lord, uh, and so Abram rather pleaded with the Lord not to destroy the city if ten righteous people could be found there. But as we will see tonight, ten, ten righteous people could not be found there. And so while four fled from the wrath to come, God overthrew and God swept away and God decimated the cities of both Sodom and Gomorrah. Friends, what fools we would be if we did not take this passage to heart. Because God has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, Christ Jesus, his son. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was only a shadow of the substance of the judgment that will be on that day. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 where Paul wrote, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. But friends, we believers need Genesis chapter 19 as well, don't we? Because the message for us is this, don't look back. In other words, keep on fleeing from the wrath that is to come. We are not in heaven yet. And therefore, we must continue to run from the wrath that will one day be revealed. And so let's begin by looking first at the warrant for God's wrath. The warrant for God's wrath. I know we've read these verses, but I want us to have them seep into our souls tonight again. So look with me, please. Genesis 19, look at verse 1 again. It says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please Turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, 
the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let, them, let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, that is the two angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Can you picture in your mind's eye a house surrounded in the dead of night by men whose faces were lit with nothing but the light of fire who had assembled for the sole purpose of rape. And if that weren't evil enough, the rape of two men. This was why Lot had pressed them hard to come into his house, not to stay in this square. And as well as this grievous sin being against these two men, against these two angels, this was ultimately a sin against God himself. See, God's design for sexuality is a beautiful design. One man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime. But here an entire city had overthrown God's design for sexuality in that we have a multitude of men seeking sexual relations with other men. And God's design is that sexual intimacy be a consensual act between a husband and a wife. But here we have the intent of sexual assault being committed by men against men. And God's design is that sexual expression, expression build intimacy and trust within a marriage. But here is the attempt for sexual expression to be used as a weapon to destroy dignity and trust. And evidently the wickedness of Sodom was so pervasive, so baked into the fabric of the culture that Lot thought a legitimate short-term solution would be providing his two daughters to be raped instead. And the air that he breathed was so polluted that his own sinful nature was high on the fumes. And this actually seemed to him like a good idea. Has there ever been a more cowardly and indefensible idea But the temporary solution wasn't Lot's daughters. No, the temporary solution was the angels pulling Lot into the house just as God had pulled Noah into the ark, shutting the door behind him and then having these angels blinding the men of the city. Now friends, what on earth can we say about a passage like this one? 
Well, friends, at the very least, I can say this. Evil exists. Evil exists. I know that might sound obvious to us. I know that I might not need to persuade many of you, but the world is currently falling over itself to erase that concept from the minds of the masses. This is no weak example at all, I don't believe, but over the last number of years, Disney have been producing these films that tell the backstory of villains, some of the most iconic villains that they have ever uh, depicted or shown in children's film. And so there was that film a few years ago, Maleficent, whose title is Mistress of Evil. But in the backstory film, it turns out that she's not evil at all. She's just wounded. She's not bad. She's just a victim. She's not sinful. She's just hurt. And the message that that sounds to children and to adults alike is people are not evil, they are just misunderstood. I used to know the previous professor of philosophy at London, uh, University of College London, and he told me once, Hugh, people aren't bad. If we do wrong things, it's just because bad things have happened to us. And he said, look, Hugh, imagine a a field of carrots, (laughs) He said the reason carrots come up and grow bad is because the environment around them makes them bad. It's not because they are bad in and of themselves. And you know that is so appealing because if we can convince ourselves that we are not guilty, then we can't be held accountable. And if we can't be held accountable, then we don't need to repent. And if we don't need to repent, then there is no judgment to come. But friends, it is a delusion. It is a farce. It is just make-believe and pretend. We do evil because we are evil. We do bad because we are bad. We sin because we are sinners. And when you picture in your mind's eye the absolute, complete wiping out of a civilization, what you are looking at is the just judgment of a good God. That is the warrant for wrath. And I want us to see next the response to God's wrath. Look with me at verse 12 again. It says, Then the men, the two angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. How should we respond to God's wrath? We should flee from God's wrath 
And we should take as many people with us as we, as we can. In Genesis chapter 19, fleeing from the wrath to come was a, a physical, geographical, literal fleeing. Lot and his family were told to evacuate the city, dodging the mass of blinded sex criminals as they went. This was exactly the picture in Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. He had to physically flee from the city of destruction. Bunyan writes, you remember, now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children perceiving it began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. But friends, fleeing from the wrath to come today is not a physical act. It is a spiritual act. Where are our souls to go? Where are our hearts to take refuge? Well, friends, they are to take refuge outside of another city. Because outside the city of Jerusalem stood a cross. And on that cross, the wrath of God that once had decimated Sodom and Gomorrah, decimated Jesus Christ. The fire and the brimstone that wiped out of existence a city of rapists was the same fire and brimstone that fell on the head of the only blameless man who has ever lived, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that by taking refuge under his cross, we would be saved from the punishment that we richly deserve and have earned for ourselves. Just this morning I read to you Deuteronomy 21-23, a hanged man is cursed by God. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And friend, you must run to the cross Immediately, Do not linger like Lot. There's too much on the line. There's so much mystery around those words in verse 16, isn't there? And Lot lingered. Why on earth would Lot have lingered in a situation like this? In a city like this? Was he, was he too comfortable in a, in a city that would, had been saturated in sin? Was there a, a part of his soul that loved this present evil world and didn't want to see it? Slip from his fingers? Was his heart divided such that he could tell his sons-in-law to flee, but he himself lingered? Whatever the reason, it was a bad reason. Whatever the excuse, it was a poor excuse. Friends, the call to flee from the wrath to come is an urgent summons. But not only are we to flee from the wrath to come, we are to take as many people with us as possible. Some might think we're joking, like Lot's sons-in-law did. Others might linger around, like Lot himself did. But that must not stop us from persuading men. A couple of years ago, now my sister and brother-in-law were wiped out with the flu. They could barely get themselves off the sofa. And so they pulled their youngest daughter aside, 
who I think was about Ada's age now at the time, about seven years old, and she only lived a two to three minute walk away from school. And so they would walk her to school every day, but on this day they were so ill they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. And so they said to her, look, you know the route to school, walk directly to school, don't talk to any strangers, just concentrate, walk all the way to school. And so she leaves the front door. About an hour later, the phone rings, and it's the school receptionist. And my, answer, and my sister answers the phone, and the receptionist says to my sister, oh, hi, Mrs. Tyler, we're just wondering why Eva hasn't come to school today. And my sister, who is a very respectful <laughs> wife, bursts into the lounge and screams at her husband, get up! Eva hasn't come to school, get up! And he gets up out of the sofa and he runs through the front door and he's frantically running. And it just so happened that on the one day her teacher overlooked Eva, they'd done it on that day. And she'd got to school just fine. But that's the urgency that we're to have. As we think about our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and our colleagues and our co-workers who right now are living in Sodom. Spurgeon said this, he said, I remember when I have preached at different times in the country and sometimes here that my whole soul has agonized over men. Every nerve of my body has been strained and I could have wept my very being out of my eyes and carried my whole frame away in a flood of tears if I could but win souls. Friends, who do you know right now who is sleeping in Sodom and will awaken in hell? And what are you doing to rouse them from their slumber? Can I recommend one course of action? Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, any, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Friends, one of the best ways to convince others to flee from the wrath to come is to behave in a way that believes that wrath is coming. You see, if you love what they love, if you laugh at what they laugh at, if you do what they do, what you communicate to them is there is no danger, there is no wrath, there is no judgment to come. And lastly, I want us to see the outpouring of God's wrath. Look with me at verse 17. It says, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is 
near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So uh, the sun, verse 23, had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley and he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so to close, I want us to think about the outpouring of wrath then And I want us to think about the outpouring of wrath that is to come. Look at the way our passage describes the wrath that came then. Verse 17, escape to the hills lest you be swept away. God swept away houses and streets and neighborhoods the way a parent sweeps up crumbs from under a child's chair. Verse 24, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The Lord flooded the world in Genesis chapter 6 at the time of Noah. And here he floods Sodom and Gomorrah, not with water, but with fire and sulfur. And then verse 25, And he, he, God, overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. God overthrew them the way the British army could overthrow an ant colony. God overthrew them the way a hurricane could overthrow a bird's nest. The way a tidal wave could overthrow a doll's house. The way a train could overthrow a cardboard box. Verse 28, and he looked again and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. What about the wrath that is to come? Well, Revelation chapter 14 says this, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. What then should we do? Three closing words of application. If you're here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, friend, flee from the wrath to come by running to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where, again, the fire of God's judgment fell on Christ. So that for all who bow beneath the cross of Jesus would be saved from the wrath that is to come. To us believers, don't look back. No one can know for sure why Lot's wife did look back. Some of you are here tonight and you are looking back to the world And you sound like the Israelites who say, wasn't life better when we were in Egypt? In the house of slavery and bondage. And I believe the traditional view is probably right that Lot's wife looked back because her heart was still in the city. 
Friend, don't let that be true of you. There is nothing in the city to miss. And the pillar of salt that Lot's wife became was very probably, quote, the fiery matter of molten lumps falling from the sky. In other words, Lot and the two daughters were preserved from the fire that was falling, but, but Lot's wife was covered in it. And there she was, a pillar of the judgment of God for all to see. And Jesus said, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Friend, you cannot have your feet in two cities. You cannot be half in Sodom and half in Zoar. It is one or the other. Which will it be? And instead of looking back to Sodom, run the race with endurance, looking not to Sodom but to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, flee from the wrath to come. Run the race with endurance. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship together. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. And then we'll close our time together. Let's stand and sing.